feel like I was just up here, so hi again. <laughs> Hope you had a great Christmas. Uh, I was thinking this week about Christmas and, um, you know, uh, missing my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather, Lloyd Matisich from Farmington, California. Passed away many, many years ago. Jenny never got to meet him. Uh, but when he passed away, uh, one of the greatest gifts that I was given was to spend about three or four days with my grandma in their, in their small home. And my grandfather was a very disciplined uh, journal writer. And so he had about 25 years with the date for every single day, and he would write something that happened that day. Now, how I know I'm related to him, some of the days he literally just talked about what he had for dinner. Had a steak today, and it was great. And I went, family roots, this is good. But as I read through those journals, there was something very inspiring about it thinking about what a gift that was to me and to others as we will read them after he leaves, to, to get a picture of his life and to see what caused him to write something, to see what moved him, to see what frustrated him, to see what made him happy, um, especially on those days where, those few days where my brother and I actually got to see them, he, th- those would be longer entries, and it was beautiful. And, and I remember thinking many years ago, that would be an incredible discipline for me to pick up. And the longer you follow Jesus and are in the church, even journal writing and keeping a prayer journal, these are kind of spiritual disciplines that we talk about. And so in my office, just earlier this week, as I was thinking about this story, I started looking through my bookshelf and around my desk, and I counted uh, seven different journals that had about three days' worth of journaling in each one of them. One year, even a couple of years ago, Jenny tried to help me and got me this neat, it was a five-year journal, and there's just very short sections in, in, on January 1st, and then it would be five different, and on that one, even, that was the year I started a sabbatical, I made it to all the way to, I think, January 7th on that one, <laughs> right? So what, the point is this, is that this is the time of year, right? This is the time of year, we're, we're, we're at the end of the year, The time of year where for me, every year around this time, I start thinking about, well, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year I'm going to finally journal more, or I'm going to use a prayer journal more. I'm going to do something that I haven't been very good at, very disciplined at. This is going to be the year we're going to conquer it. And then we get to this point in the year, at the end of the year, and it's just so easy to think, like, okay, I didn't pull that one off. And we get to the end of the year, and oftentimes we can come to the end of the year and have a sense of regret or a sense of loss that as as, as good as our intentions were, as much as we had hoped that 2015 was going to be the year we were going to lose the weight, get the promotion, the year we were going to apply and get into our dream college, the year we were going to, we were just going to change that economic status, we were going to save more, we we were going to move up a little bit. This was going to be the year where, where your spouse and you got closer, where our marriage was going to get stronger. This was the year where, where you were going to work less and spend more time with your kids. This was going to be the year where you were going to be closer to your kids, to your family. This was going to be the year where you were going to have a more devout prayer life. This was going to be the year where you, you trusted the Lord with your finances in a different way. This was going to be the year, and, and so often we get to this time of year, and we can start playing the reel of all that it was supposed to be. Or, or we can have um, a shift of thinking of all the unexpected things that happened in 2015. The the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, unexpected crisis, 
unexpected complexity to life. For us, one of the unexpected things that happened this year that is just still very real, and I never thought I would be this person, but we lost, our, we lost a family pet this year. Right, 2015, this unplanned circumstances. It, it's far too easy for us to get to this point of the calendar year and to reflect on the year with these kind of like normal patterns that happen in life where we have the greatest intentions to do something, to start something, to master something, and all of a sudden life just happens. The unexpected parts of life just happen. So we we don't get to the journal. We don't get to the marriage building. We don't get to do those things. And, And the biggest fear, I think, for me and for us is that we get to this reflective state of 2015 and all of a sudden we get overcome with regret and sometimes even shame. And this morning, I want to just address that for a moment with the help of the Apostle Paul. How do we view this time, this moment in our calendar? How can we together seek what we're going to call a graceful finish to the year? One in which we are not dwelling on what we did not do, where we are not dwelling on all the negative and all the difficulty, but how we can come to the end of this calendar year and sense God's presence, to sense his grace, and to help us think forward instead of regretting backwards. Will you join me in prayer? God, thank you for this family, this church. Thank you for this space that we have this morning to be together, to worship you, to have fellowship with one another, and now, God, to hear from your word. So I pray, God, that your word would move among us this morning in a way that if there is shame and regret in this room, that that would, that would be no more by the end of our time. We believe that your word is powerful and breathes and speaks, and so speak now through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, please open up to Philippians chapter three, and would you stand for the reading of God's word? We will have it on the screen as well. Philippians chapter 3, and then we are going to start in verse 10. Verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. You may have a seat. All right, let me help with some context. As we jump into verse 10, there's some strong words, but there's about two and a half chapters of activity that are happening in Philippians. So just hang with me for a moment. And then from what we just read, there's just three observations that I think can help us get to that graceful finish that that we all need. So Philippians in general is a very encouraging letter. Paul is writing to this church in Philippi. 
Um, they're, they're, he, he's encouraging them in their faith. He's happy with what they're doing. He, there's some exchange about how they've shared people in advancing the gospel. Very encouraging letter, but there's at least one issue that Paul is addressing, especially in chapter three, and the issue is this. The Philippian church was a mainly Gentile church. These were recent converts to the gospel of Jesus. These were people with little to none Jewish background. These were people that heard about Jesus, gave their life to Jesus, and a church emerged. And, and for them, their faith, their faith began with Jesus. They didn't have the knowledge of the scriptures that Jewish folks did. They didn't understand the context, and so there was a group of people that were called the Judaizers. And these people were really um, disappointed in the Philippian church. They were frustrated with them. Because for them, the Gentiles were not Jewish enough to be considered um, faithful. And so there was all this conversation about how the Gentile church would need to become more Jewish to be found faithful, to be found the people who are of the true God. And so Paul is writing to this Gentile church saying, I know that there are these people out there that are telling you to do some crazy things. They're telling you that for you to be, for you to be uh, a true disciple, for you to be somebody who's true in the faith, you need to be circumcised. And this is a family service, so parents, you can take that from here. <laughs> but the point is this, is that Paul is writing in a context where these people saying, you need to become more Jewish to be faithful. You need to be more Jewish to be true. And Paul is writing some really, really strong words that are telling them, no, 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 no. To understand the fullness of Jesus, you don't have to be more Jewish. You need to be more understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. In fact, Paul's words are pretty strong. He calls the people who do this, the Judaizers, earlier in chapter three, he calls them dogs. And he calls them mutilators of the flesh. So again, this isn't a light little moment in the letter. This is a strong moment where Paul is encouraging this church to stick with Jesus. Keep focused on Jesus, not on the people who are telling you you're doing it wrong. Focus on Jesus. Now, the Gentile church, you can imagine when these people who are connected to all the rituals, all the ways that are found in the Old Testament, all, the, all, the, all of that, they could be easily intimidated going, well, maybe there's something here. Maybe we do need to become circumcised. Maybe we do need to do all these things. Maybe we do need to become more Jewish to be a Christian. And so Paul, in, in a very famous moment in, in chapter three, as to help them not be intimidated by the credentials of all the Jewish Judaizers, he goes into a, a, a bit of a rant where he says, for it in, in verse three, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. And then Paul does this, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And he starts touting his Jewish credentials. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So we got these Judaizers who are intimidating the Gentiles, and he goes, they're intimidating with, this, with these credentials of being Jewish. Let me give my credentials. If anyone has reason, if anyone has reason and to boast into their Jewish identity, it's me. Circumcised on the eighth day from the tribe of Benjamin. He is t- this is like the, the upper echelon of, of Jewishness. And Paul is saying, I am, I am, I'm faultless. And all of that is garbage. All of that is nothing compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. All of this old identity, it's nothing compared to Jesus. Whatever gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, trash, some translations dung, Paul is using very strong language to encourage the Gentile Christians that when Jesus comes into the story, everything else minimizes. Everything else doesn't matter. It's about Jesus. So when we pick up in verse 10, Paul continues this desire to follow Jesus and to capitalize and to make the point that this is all about Jesus. And in verse 10, when he says, I want to know Christ... Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And then verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this. So I've got three observations for us this morning. Again, our goal is to to get to a graceful finish to this year. The first observation from this text is the word gap. That there is a gap between what we know and how we live. For Paul, that gap is right there in verse 10 and 12 when he says, I want to know Christ. And then in verse 12, not that I've already attained this. So there's a desire of Paul to know Christ. And then there's this confession from Paul that he's not there yet. That he's still very much in process of learning about Christ and the power of the resurrection and the power of Jesus. There is a gap between how Paul understands Jesus and how he lives. I mean, let's think about that for a moment. Paul, a a man who has done more for the scriptures in the New Testament, a significant witness. Church is starting over the place, encouragement. The apostle Paul. The apostle Paul confesses that there's a gap between what he knows and how he lives. That should be encouraging to you and me because that gap doesn't just exist for Paul, it exists for all of us. Amen? So oftentimes when we think about this gap uh, and we have these images in in our faith, right, where there's gap between um, knowing Christ and not knowing Christ and, and the cross is the thing that bridges that gap and that sin is the thing that separates, all of that is incredibly true, but for this morning, the gap has more to do with our discipleship than our salvation. The gap that Paul is expressing is his understanding of Jesus, the power of Jesus, It has more to do with this discipleship or his day-to-day Christian living than it has to do with his salvation. That that gap had been closed. Paul has met Jesus. He has put his faith in Jesus. He has secured salvation. But in the meantime, as he's doing the outworking for Jesus, he is experiencing this gap. We know that there's a gap for all of us. For some of us, that gap shows up 
Maybe we're in high school or college, that the, how, how common it is now to, to be okay to cheat on tests, knowing that something is wrong and yet doing it anyways. So for, for our youngest kids, it's maybe on the playground when there's that one kid who's kind of hard to get along with, who's a little different, and everybody else is being mean to that kid, and we jump in and start being mean to that kid. That is, we know what we should do, and we don't do it. There's a gap there. For some of us who are older, maybe that gap is, is following the law. A lot of you wanted us to live in that gap on Christmas Eve by lighting real flames in here after the fire department told us no. But we wanted to close that gap. We're getting on tax season. Maybe, maybe we, we, we do things on our taxes very clearly that we know are not right, but we go for it. Maybe it's the computer sites that we go to where we know we shouldn't do that, but we do that. Maybe it's the way we talk and use our tongues, gossiping, the way we speak about other people. Many of us, it's just simple morality and moral choices that show up in front of us all the time. That we want to know Christ, but we're, we're just not there yet. For me, when I was in high school, I worked at, I had a couple of jobs. The one I ended high school with was at a, I've told this story before, at a, at a Christian bookstore, Joshua's Christian Store. And on, towards the end of my time at Joshua's Christian Store, I had, um, I stole from the store. I, I took a, a leather-bound Bible of all things because it was the most expensive thing in the store, and I did a fake refund one night where I scanned the Bible and signed the receipt as if somebody came in, and the policy of, the, of that store was even if you didn't have a receipt, you could get a cash refund. And so I pretended I was someone, and I scanned it, and I put about 140 bucks in my pocket, stealing from the store. I wasn't a very good thief, though, because I signed my name on the... Uh, <laughs> like a very close rendition of my name. I can laugh at it now, it wasn't very funny, right mom? Um, <laughs> but I knew the whole time. I, I was a leader in my youth group, I was a leader at my school, I was serious about Jesus, I had just gotten hired at Mount Hermon, I was gonna graduate high school and then the next day go up to Mount Hermon to go work at a Christian camp all summer. I knew the whole time. What I knew I was supposed to do and what I did, there was a gap. There's a gap between what I knew and how I lived. And, and the gap even extends to our intentions. So whether it be losing the weight, writing in the journal, our prayer life, our devotional life, whatever the things are for each one of us, the reality of the human condition is that there will always be a gap. There will be a difference between what we know is right and how we choose to live. So when Paul says, I want to know Christ, and, and not that I'm there yet, it models to us that Paul very much understands the human condition. Now, the good news is that the story continues, so we don't just live in this gap. Second observation is that the gap is filled by grace. Second word, grace. The gap isn't the end game. It's the backdrop and the context of the grace of Jesus Christ that comes in to fill the gap. The shame and the guilt that the gap can cause has been put to death, put to death by grace. And a grace emerges into that dead space, that space between who we want to be and how we live. Grace just emerges up and fills that. 
That dead space becomes alive through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul even says this in verse 10. He says he wants to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, to somehow to experience the grace of Jesus Christ. The word grace and the concept of grace and this idea that you and I, who we want to be and who we are, that we're very different, it is so hard for us to truly, truly believe that grace fills that space. Maybe at a cosmic level, we kind of get grace and we put a lot of, of hope in that, that one day, Right, one day, maybe when we depart this earth, that we will experience the grace of Jesus Christ and we will be forever with him. And that is an incredible truth that really resonates with us. But for day-to-day living, just based on the kinds of phone calls I get and the meetings with many of you in this church and knowing myself, day-to-day grace is really hard to understand. Grace is hard for us, if we're honest. The, a, a misunderstanding or a, a difficulty with understanding with, of grace, these kind of things come into our mind. Things like, I'm, I'm not enough. If I just fill in the blank, then I would be acceptable. If I had, if I had just done that, then that wouldn't have happened and then, and then everything would have been Okay. Maybe for some of us, it's our self-image that when we look in the very mirror, we have trouble liking what we see, day-to-day grace. Some of us, we have this pressure on us to perform, especially our high school students. I have so much compassion for a high school student right now. The pressure on them to be perfect at everything is unlike any other generation. Be phenomenal at everything. Pressure to look a certain way to have the right house or car, to have the perfect kids. Some of you just stressed out on Christmas Day because you couldn't find the right picture to put on Instagram or Facebook so that you have the perfect family because at the end of the day, the gap between who you want to be and who you are is so strong, you are trying to fill that space with anything that will make you feel better. When these things don't happen, when we're unable to fill that space with Jesus, we can be greatly impacted. In fact, that's what all of this is about. That's why we're a church. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, is that Jesus coming into this world was, was, a, was a promise, a fulfilled promise that this thing that separates us from God and this thing that separates us from our intentions and reality has been, has been fulfilled through the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all about grace. It's a celebration that the gap no longer exists. It's a celebration that the gap between who we are and who we want to be has very little power and that the power of Jesus rises up in that gap And the the trouble for us is that we we don't live in that. We may know it, we may touch it from time to time, but it's a struggle to live it. When it. When you live it and believe it and let it shape you, 
All of a sudden, the pressures of performing and the pressures of perfection and the pressures of having the right family and the perfect marriage and, and, and the right job and the right house and the right bank account, all of those pressures can simmer down a little bit when we live in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus. I'm so thankful to be part of this church because I think so much of my journey here over 16 years, which is crazy, is that, that I, I was hired here without having any understanding of grace. Because you know this, right? You know that you can love Jesus, you can be committed to him, you can be faithful in so many ways, and you can actually not understand or live in grace. I believe that was me and is me from time to time. When I was the high school pastor here, I tell Mark this story all the time. When I was the high school pastor here, early on, I felt so much pressure that what I had to do every Sunday morning was be incredible. And it had to be just the right talk so that the kids would like it enough, and then if the kids liked it enough, then the parents would like it enough, and if the parents liked it enough, then they would like Lake enough, and, and I had all this pressure on me all the time to be perfect and to be likable. It even extended into our home where, where there was a season where no one could come in our house unless it was picked up perfectly. Unless it was clean, everything was right, everything was good. And over my time at Lake Avenue, through the teaching and the leadership of all of the pastors of this church, especially Greg, I have come to understand and to understand what grace is. So, so early on in those high school pastor years, I would walk over to Mobile at six in the morning and I would buy a Red Bull or two and I would drink a Red Bull so I had just enough energy, just enough energy to be great that morning. This, my story of Lake Avenue is me calming down and trusting the Lord more and living in the grace and not fearing that gap. When you live in the grace of Jesus Christ, when you allow the grace of Jesus to fill that gap, there is a peace that comes and brothers and sisters, if your life is not marked by peace, you need more grace. Because the promise of Jesus, even, even in Isaiah, one of his names is the Prince of Peace. And when he comes into our life, that gap gets filled with peace. So we've got gap, we have grace, and then our final G is the word go. And that finishing... Finishing is about moving forward. Paul says it this way, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I believe that this verse could be some of the most freeing words for some people in this room today. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. So, so here we come to the end of 2015 and the tendency for some of us is to dwell on what is behind and what didn't happen or all the difficulty of this year. And Paul is saying, forget that and, and strain towards something else. There's a difference between remembering the past and dwelling on the past. Let me talk about that for a moment. Paul, Paul remembers his past. He's not saying all that. Uh, he, earlier in chapter three, he's talking about his past. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm from this family. I did these things as a Pharisee. 
he remembers all that. It's not like he just blocked that out of his mind. But he sees that in the context that will thrust him forward, move him forward. In, in, a, town, and I, in a town with so many therapists, I'm going to risk something. And I've been to a lot of therapy. Therapy that focuses where we dwell on our past in a way that doesn't launch us forward, to me, is not biblical in a sense. So often we can spend so much time dwelling on our past and our childhood and all these things that have happened to us, and it just becomes interesting information. There's a reason to understand and to remember where we've come from in so much that it moves us forward. Finishing is about moving forward. Good therapy helps you see past, see your past in a way that springs you forward, forward with freedom, not dwelling on the past, but moving forward. Life goes forward. Time doesn't wait or go backwards. Forget what is behind is about moving in to the new without dwelling on the past. I'm especially mindful this morning in, in, the, in these weekends where we have so many guests with us. And I will just risk, risk to say that some of you are at church this morning out of some family obligation. That you're here because you're visiting family and this is what they do and, and they wanted you to be here and they want you to be polite. And the truth of the matter is some of you have had very painful experiences with the church. Very painful experiences with places like Lake Avenue Church. I want to say to you this morning, finishing is about moving forward. It's about giving this a shot again. It's about understanding that the grace of Jesus comes to fill this, this dead space in our lives and we are able to move forward and finish this life strongly. Whatever Judaizers are in your past telling you you had to do this or that to be a good Christian, let that go. And if you live in town, we'd love to be your church. We'd love to be a place where you grow in your knowledge of the grace of Jesus Christ. Let that define your life so that you can move forward in your life and finish the race that you've been called to. That, that's what this is all about. This morning as we come to the end of a calendar year, let's just recognize that there's a gap for all of us. There's a gap between who we want to be and who we are. And let's recognize that the power and truth of Jesus Christ is that he has come to fill that dead space with his son, Jesus Christ. And because of that grace, you and I are empowered to move forward, to go forward. We don't have to be the kind of people who look at that dead space and feel shame and regret, but one of appreciation and joy and fulfillment because of the gift of Jesus Christ. Maybe 2015 was great for you. As you shared around the room with one another, it was just a great year. But for those of us who had some unmet hopes, some unmet expectations, for those of us who struggle to feel like we are good enough, we can finish this year better. We can finish in grace. We can finish in the grace of Jesus Christ. A graceful finish is not about giving the gap power. 
that you would want to be who you are, who you want to be and who you are has been put to death and been resurrected through the grace of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you this morning, you do not have to perform. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be perfect. You can fail. You can handle the stress. You are able to live without shame and guilt. Grace is yours. Take it. Claim it. Live in it by the power of Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for even Paul, who all of his words are words that we want to live more fully in our own lives, that we can even see in his confession that who you are and what you have called him to be and who he is, that there's a little gap there. And we're thankful that you fill that through Jesus. I pray for each one in this room that the gap and the shame and the guilt would have no power and that that space would be filled by the power of your son, Jesus Christ. And if these words don't make sense to some in this room, the idea of grace, the idea of Jesus, God, I pray that 2015, these final few days in 2016, would be a year where lives would be changed because of the power of Jesus Christ. Help us, God, to be the kind of people who don't focus on what we aren't, but that we would be the kind of people who focus on who you are, that we would be the kind of people who trust you, that we would be the kind of church, God, that lives in the power of your son. Amen.